Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Oliver Jones, and my loquacious co-host, Ed Stevens. This conversation is with Andy Shovel and Pete Sharman. Andy met Pete while looking for a co-founder for his burger delivery idea, which became Chosen Bun. They were ahead of the curve given the subsequent rise of Deliveroo and made a quick exit after successfully growing the company, even sending a burger into space. Their latest project, Not Meat, is bringing delicious plant-based meat alternatives to the mass market. We try their not chicken strips live on the episode and are astonished by the likeness and texture as well as flavour. They make for a highly entertaining duo and offer some great insights into the FMCG industry, the unsustainability of livestock farming and the future of food consumption. Whether you're a vegan, budding flexitarian or simply interested in the FMCG space, it's worth a listen. So without further ado, we bring you Andy Shovel and Pete Sharman. Hello, and we are live here uh, from our studios in High Street, Kensington, with the founders of Not Meat, um, Pete and Andy. Um, we haven't had a full guest show before, so we're going to try and keep this as structured as possible and avoid um, bedlam. Um, but so we don't double up on the backstory, I think let's dive into how you two met, um, because I'm sure that has led to many successes along the way and hopefully a positive future. So um, either one of you, how did, how did you first come in contact? Uh, so we met in 2012. Um, it was a bit like dating, but not. Uh, <laughs> we, I, I started my previous business called Recruitment Squared uh, alone, and it was quite miserable at times. So um, wanted to start Chosen Bun, which uh, was our last business together um, with someone. So uh, went out networking, met as many people as I could. Met one guy who was like, "Yeah, I know this smart guy." Uh, he's, um, you know, got the skills that perhaps like you don't, and you might have the skills he doesn't. Uh, he was unavailable, so I then I met Pete. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I knew that was going. That, that sounds a lot. That sounds a lot like dating. <laughs> yeah. You're not quite getting what you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and um, it was the, the bit most like dating was that uh, Pete had a job offer from a startup, uh, job offer from a startup that he wanted to take. Um, so it was like pending, and he had about a week to get back to them. So we met pretty much every night for hours um, discussing our thoughts and our plans uh, over the course of that week and at the end we shook hands and decided to do Chosen Bun together. Really conveniently my girlfriend was away <laughs> so I, I've been sort of looking at a few other opportunities <laughs> I was a bit bored. <laughs> One, she w- if you say like oh, I've met this guy she's like where are you tonight it's like I'm, I'm with this guy it's like Just with another this guy again. Comedy game yeah. With Andy. <laughs> dinner, um, dinner. So you had a vision for Chosen Bun yeah. Did you have a similar vision or did, did Annie just convince you accordingly that that was the direction you wanted to go in? And what was the other startup? So, uh, well, interestingly, at the time I was working for Coca-Cola okay. originally, and this was back in 2012, uh, and I decided just to quit on my birthday. So I've been looking at a startup for, it was like an ice lolly one, um, and they just paired up with Moshi Monsters, I forget the name now, but really nice guys, um, FMCG space. Mm. Um, but yeah, I sort of quit. I, I summoned the courage that day um, and left a week. After the depressing company birthday card and I mean, piece of cake. Less, yeah. yeah, that'll do it. And, and my girlfriend was away, which helped also, because I was just like, I can do it, I can do it. And um, so yeah, I did. And uh, yeah, then met Andy a few days after. Um, so they came back actually with, yeah, really like double the money and 
a nice company car and all that. So I was holding my nerve um, as we were talking through burgers. It, it sounds like the relationship quite came quite easily to you both, whereas many find, founders find it difficult to meet a suitable co-founder. Do you have any advice there? Well, he's, he did the finding. I, I got very yeah. lucky. It's the short version um, of that. I, um, I, I would say probably that... Uh, I've done this a couple of times, actually, because I did have a business partner in recruitment um, ha- like halfway through, well, probably less, actually. So I did find one for that in the end as well, but just starting off on my own. And anyway, advice would be uh, your social network is probably a lot more powerful than you might think. And it only takes... If you look at... Uh, I don't want to keep going on about dating, but if you, <laughs> if you look at an app like Hinge... Which, which basically taps into your friends of friends and their friends. <laughs> Me and Pete worked out that the average person, like if you go those two degrees of separation, yeah. I think it gets to like 300,000 people or something crazy. Yeah, it's mad. Um, if you have an average of like LinkedIn do that, don't they? They tell you how many people in your second connection. Do they? How many? That's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's often like really surprising. So, so if you really work hard at the networking... Uh, then you will, um, you'll probably get a good result, and you'll find someone. And the other thing I'd say is that it's really important to um, find someone with uh, complementary skills, so stuff that you're not good at, they're good at. And it sounds maybe a bit obvious, but it's something that I didn't really think about prior to meeting Pete. Really, yeah. And I think that became really obvious very quickly when we started talking, is we see it from exactly sort of opposite ends, um, but share enough of the sort of vision in the middle that it works really well. Well, I think the important thing to say about choosing bun, because um, delivery is flying about and everybody talks about it now, is it was pretty cutting edge, actually, the idea that you had of, of delivering burgers to people. It wasn't really being done. Mm. Um, and was that your original intention for you? You were just saying, I'd love burgers to be delivered to me fresh at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you sort of built the concepts around that? Yeah, basically. I mean, t- to be honest... T- my bit alone was pretty limited. I just thought of the general concept and and realised there was a problem. Uh, me and Pete pretty much did everything together from there. It wasn't it wasn't like I'd I'd put much meat on the bone. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and um, but but basically, yeah. T- together we realised as well. Um, you know, fleshed it out and and realised that uh, some people were delivering burgers, not very many. Uh, but for instance, Deliverance was doing it. Um, not many other people, to be honest, if anyone in London. And no one well. Um, and no one was doing it well. So we thought, well, ha- there's a problem here. Like everyone loves burgers. Mm. Um, the burger revolution had already really started, just about. And everyone loves burgers, but no one's eating it at home. You know, they love burgers when they go out for, to eat, probably more than pizza. But it's just. So we thought, okay, well, packaging is one lever you can pull to make things better. Um, so we worked really hard on that, designed, patented, patented our own packaging. Um, and then also like you can you can design all the ingredients around delivery so mm. for instance like much crispier chips than you might otherwise make um, so they don't go soggy um, certain type of lettuce that's most robust um, I could harp on for ages about this so yeah, it's I'll, like I'll the order of things in the burger and the exact way that you do it and being really quick out the door with it and quick to the door but I think that was the whole chosen bun manifesto um, because I saw the floor plan for your kitchen and it was really operationally efficient, which I think is something that the McDonald's story first shoved into the mainstream, which was how important that was. And we've seen many a restaurant come a cropper because their operations were poor. Yeah. Um, Five Guys have done it really well too. Really well. Really, yeah. Yeah, high-end burgers and feel like it's like a high street chain. Mm. Um, who played their hand in terms of cobbling that together? Because having not had restaurant experience, I understand you had FMCG experience, did you just stumble upon that? Um, or did one of you drive that in particular? I would say it was def- it was both of us. Um, I studied engineering actually at uni, 
so that was one of the things that really interested me about this sort of prospect is I figured not many people with a degree in mechanical engineering probably have a burger shop, so there might be some interesting insights. And then working, yeah, just working together, each problem one by one to find the most efficient way. Um, yeah, sorry. No, that's quite a startup thing, isn't it? Is a lot of people come from an engineering background and see something as a problem to fix. Yeah, it's all, it's all problem solving, isn't it? D- did you pick up any investors and advisors along the way who were particularly helpful in that regard? Um, yeah, so our, our investors originally um, were predominantly from fast food. But I would say actually the blueprint that we made, would probably, I think it'd be fair to say that we mostly made it together. Um, and we definitely did things a little differently into operationally. Um, for instance, we sous vide all of our burgers. Um, which is so what does that mean? Sous vide is when you um, basically put uh, food in a vacuum sealed bag and then you cook it in water at a very precise temperature and you can then hold that food for up to, let's say, a day or so. Um, and w- what it meant for us was that we could, uh, upon receiving an order for a burger, um, we could have that burger out of the door in about like 60, se- 60 or 70 seconds wow. um, because it's already cooked in sous vide perfectly. So you just finish it off on the char grill um, and it, it was perfectly consistent and very quick. Also incredibly safe, which was a really nice, you know, there's a lot right. of talk about medium cooked burgers. Safest medium cooked burger you'll, you could have, mm-hmm. certainly in the, yeah, in the capital. I won't go into it too much, but you did, um, did you both do a stint at McDonald's before then? And if so, what was the reaction from your families to you going on this journey that got you doing a stint at McDonald's and then back in Chosen Bun? Did you face a, um, some doubters? Um, so I did McDonald's for right. about two two or so months, um, and Pete was at Domino's. Yeah, so I was a delivery boy in um, southwest London for about a month. It was over the Olympics. I remember delivering pizzas on the Olympic opening ceremony. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. Is it fun or just dangerous? It's really dangerous. <laughs> I hadn't really ridden a motorbike at all, um, and let alone one in London. So it was, it was really life in your hands type stuff. Um, because I see the delivery truck is speeding up and down Putney High Street. Yeah. And it looks terrifying. It um, is. <laughs> but you guys did amazingly well out of that and, and got a quick exit. Yeah. Um, it was actually uh, some of our original investors, basically, decided that it fitted into their portfolio companies. So they made us uh, you know, an offer to buy it out, and we took it. And it was good. I mean, Chosen Bun, obviously, uh, you know, when we sold, it wasn't a, a huge chain of restaurants, and it wasn't a, you know, but for us, it was, it was a success. And, you know, we, we got in and out, as you say, relatively quickly. We learned a hell of a lot. Mm. Um, and it was the first time either of us had had any money, basically, you mm. know, which was cool um, and is cool. Um, so, so that was nice. And, and obviously all amicable as well with the, with the buyers and our investors. And it was just a relatively nice story from start to finish, really. A lot of really, really hard work and a difficult lifestyle, but it was worth it. Do you think you got out at the right time, given the rise of delivery? Um, difficult to say. I think Domino's, for instance, are who have some parallels to Chosen One, obviously, although they're an enormous company and Chosen One isn't. But um, as far as a kind of package goes, they're relatively similar. They uh, are doing better than they ever have, mm. um, even though Deliveroo's taken such market share, um, which which must, we were talking about this yesterday, walking along the street, it's, it must mean that Deliveroo has basically made their own market. And they've probably taken it from, um, you know, eating out rather than right. take it home, right. I guess. Um, but yeah, so in answer to your question, I think uh, we... Pr- it was probably a good time because delivery is not the only factor. Um, property, so properties availability is terrible in restaurants, um, as you as we all know. Like high streets are becoming so commoditized now with all the chains, um, the supply so the demand is massive for sites. The supply is not really going up in my view, 
So councils aren't reacting, being like, oh, well, there are loads of operators now. We better license loads more restaurant properties. It doesn't work like that because, you know, residents are like, no, that's mm-hmm. not happening. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is difficult from property side as well. Right. And landlords push tenants out all the time. Commercial property landlords are horrible. Yeah. Um, we had a client pushed out their site because they just they pushed the rent up beyond what their revenue was making. And then the site sat dormant for about five years. Mm. Um, so they don't really care. Um, did you both have a... A bit of a celebration for next day. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, we went to the Maldives <laughs> together, which was confusing for the staff Girlfriends. there. Well, it was like at the end of every night, we'd like... <laughs> still, <laughs> so still, still at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still. Do you promise you're just business partners? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, at the end of every night, uh, after a meal, the staff would be really confused and go into two separate rooms. <laughs> I think we had a row or something. Um, but yeah, we did that. Um, we bought some stuff. Uh, I'm a real car nut, so I bought a car. And I saw that. Yeah. You bought a car. Actually, I think one of my friends told me that they saw you driving around in a nice car. In Fulham. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I've just complete petrol head. Loved cars forever and ever. Um, so it was just an ambition to get a you know, nice car and that kind of stuff. So yeah. It was cool. Ran off and got married to allay my my girlfriend's fears that I wasn't fact in a relationship with Andy. (laughs) Just to prove it. Double down. Um, Classic. Yeah, that's it. I don't want to dwell for for too much longer on Chosen Bun because obviously you're here to talk about not meat. But you did do some cool PR stunts. And at Angel Investment Network, we've just started doing PR. um, But we're a little bit uncertain as to the the measurable value, value that you can derive from it. So... Uh, what were your PR stunts and were they worth it now that the dust has settled? Yeah, so I guess the, the, the one we found most success with was when we sent a burger and chips to space. Um, it was a way to showcase... Everything we did for um, video content was designed to showcase our packaging. Um, so uh, now it's almost a bit cliche because so many people have sent stuff to space. Mm. But it's actually technically near space. but <laughs> Low Earth orbit. Space for short. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so so um, we managed to get on all the evening news. Like we got loads of newspapers, and it was great. And our, uh, even though some people had done it before with different products, our footage was very good and uh, like clear. Um, it was just a really clear day, and it was great footage. So so we it was really worth it. Now the dust has settled, and, and we got loads of customers from it. And it was a way to uh, engage our, our current customers as well, yeah, and make them love the brand more. Quick question: mm. How did you launch it into space? Using a big fat uh, weather balloon, um, a GPS transceiver, and uh, and a GoPro. Yeah, a little gondola that we sort of put together, um, holding all of that stuff in place. Oh, and a parachute. Did it survive re-entry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you eat it? Did you eat it? Uh, no, I tried to make pizza, too, but he wouldn't eat I it. I ate <laughs> the first one. So we did this the first time, and the thing went all the way up, all the way down, and checked the footage, and it stopped recording about 10 feet off the ground. Uh, which yeah. was gutting and I took a, but I took a bite out of that one it's horrible <laughs> really 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 cold predictably that's a pretty cool stunt and, and the um, the media attention turned into store footfall or, or desired ROI or sort of just yeah. generally a bit of fun And we saw a peak um, for sure uh, we got lots of our customers like we got our customer loyalty up and we got people talking about us on social media but we did see a peak in sales yeah um, and it was yeah, it was definitely worth it. It wasn't that costly to us. It was a couple of grand, I think. Mm. Um, and um, just to you know, the, I think that it's really important for for a business like Chosen Bun that's very local in nature. It's important f- to find ways to engage your local customers and keep them like loving you as much as possible. 
with your site in Fulham Broadway, because um, we coach the best Mangal and very loyal for <laughs> customers, um, did Chelsea's football ground have a, a big impact on your footfall? Not really, because we were so we were so much a delivery business. About yeah. seventy, eighty percent was delivery, and we were quite off pitch for the Chelsea fans. Yeah, um, it wasn't that busy on that bit of Fulham Road past the roundabout. So I would say no, it didn't have that much difference to be honest. Okay. Um, One notable thing was the uh, the police though. Mm. So the police on match days would all congregate right outside the front of our shop. I remember that, like the first time we come back and literally there's like 30 fully kitted out police in the front of our shop. And we're like, oh my God, what's mm. happened? They love Anandos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> police officers love Anandos. They like a KFC and it was caught road. Yeah, I bet they do. Yeah. Can't do any catching robbers after that. <laughs> so then you had this gestation period. Yeah, so I know that before Chosen Bun, you did this extraordinary tour of the US, sampling thousands of burgers to find the, the perfect ingredients. And there's been a... a a hiatus since you exited Chosen Bun. Um, so with Not Meat, has there been a similar R&D process? And, and when did the idea come about? So Not Meat, we've been working on for about eight, nine months. Um, so we took, that means we took about uh, a year off or so mm-hmm. from Chosen Bun. Yeah, so um, basically just travelling and doing fun things. Drive cars, get married. Appease yeah. the wife. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. 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 It's literally that. Um, and... Uh, and, and yeah, so so then we started doing our. Well, to be honest, before we committed to not me, we looked at loads of different ideas in real depth. So we'd spend a minimum of about ten days, two weeks on an idea, and then find fundamental reasons why it wasn't for us. So like we looked at um, subscription uh, prescriptions, which is a tongue twister. And we looked at uh, servicing cars. We looked at trying to start our own brand of electric cars. Uh, some quite ambitious ones like that which obviously take big money and some that were just smaller scale um we looked at like a robotic bar using using a robot to make cocktails mm. um brent Hoberman in here put a tender out for a robotic restaurant really? concept yeah. Mm. yeah we toyed around with that quite a lot but the the tech just isn't quite there to have the have the kind of flexibility you need in a restaurant to deal with drunk orders of cocktails. <laughs> I just like you've had one too many. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> what was that voice from? Uh, I don't know. It's it's sort of like not supposed no, to be like Stephen Hawking. Hawking. It's Stephen I was going to say yeah, it's not supposed to be like him. Yes, it's incredibly poor taste. Yeah. <laughs> what was that editorial control? <laughs> And for the listeners, because we've kind of skipped over it, what exactly is Not Meat? Not Meat is uh, going to be a brand, because we're sort of pre-launch right now. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a brand of plant-based protein products um, for consumption by everybody, not just principled vegetarians. So um, we want to convert um, a load of people who eat meat. Um, and to be honest, not even convert. We, if, if people are looking to cut down their meat intake, maybe, you know, once a week even, um, it's it's a really no compromise option. So um, it's for people who can sub in and out, can sub meat out of their diet without really making a change to that diet. So our products are going to be really realistic and have a lot of characteristics and same kind of physical architecture as meat, um, and also cook the same way and take on flavors the same way. Um, which means that like we basically believe that um, the future of of taking on protein is not really in uh, animals. And we also think it's probably not in like legume-based kind of you know separate type of dish because people, in, in the near term anyway, because people have demonstrated how much they love meat. So we think it's in um, sustainable, tasty mm. meat alternatives that are just like meat. 
there's a lot we want to dig into here. But first, can you give us an idea of what the market landscape is like for these sorts of products? Because I know it's, it's quite big in America and perhaps over here we're lagging behind. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the, the market over here is about 600 million for meat alternatives. But the much more interesting market is the fact that you know, the UK spend about £20 billion a year on meat. And the latest numbers you see, and they're growing all the time, there's about 20 million people in the UK who, who fall into the category Andy was talking about, mm. the flexitarian. So you're not mm. a vegetarian, but you're, you're keen to cut back. Yeah. You're a guilty carnivore. Yeah. Um, that's huge. So that, that's a third of the country. So the potential size of the prize, if we're spending 20 billion a year on meat, you know, that works out about 6 billion, you know, available mm-hmm. for this sector. And I think a lot of people are spending money on poor quality meat. Mm. I think we, I, I read, and I'm sure you guys have read Farmageddon, where most of my knowledge for this interview has come from. <laughs> um, but I read that in the Western world, we're eating about 200 to 300 grams a day. It didn't wasn't specific about what country was, was making up that proportion of um, diners. Um, and we need to be down to about 90 to, to be stable in a, in a kind of yeah. the foreseeable future. It's a massively unsustainable position we've sort of landed on at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, people like us are the correction to that. And I think as, as Farmageddon or Cowspiracy or Food Inc. or beyond, there's a, a real raising awareness on the environmental side um, and the ethical one as well, I think will become increasingly widespread as, over time. And when you come to bring the product to market, do you envisage focusing on, on one of those as part of your brand placement? What, what, what do you mean exactly? As in, are you going to be targeting consumers' desire to be flexitarian or appealing to their concern for farming as it currently is, being unsustainable and ethical and bad for the environment? Or is it all of the above? It's all of the above, all yeah. Of the... What, what I suppose what would narrow it down um, would be to say what we're not, which is basically we're not a preachy vegan um, you know, you're all sinners and you must comply. That's mm-hmm. not our narrative. Um, and I'm not saying that's the narrative of other brands, but that, um, you know, veganism and vegetarianism to perhaps a lesser extent are definitely synonymous in society with, um, you know, that sort of narrative now and again. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's, if you really want mass like paradigm change, the way to do it is probably not to berate and to criticize. And the way is to probably give people in our view to, to give people a really no compromise alternative i think um when we studied biology imperial was that evolution dictates that we don't want to forage too far beyond our comfort zone so things do have to look like sausages if they're going to be an alternative to meat we can't completely drag people into a new formula um with that in mind where do you position yourself versus corn alternatives which i guess they are a are emerging into the market more. I seem to see more corn products. But um, equally, they have been around for a while. They've been around for yeah. a very long time, but they, they can't move beyond looking like mints, looking like sausages. Um, will yours compromise less on taste? Will it compromise less on appearance? And how is, yeah. it, and how is it different? And how is it different? So um, it's quite different. Corn is the market leader, as, as you recognise. Um, they have about 65% of the meat alternative market in the UK, so it's almost a kind of monopoly. Um, and they are every corn product um, is based on mycoprotein which is a synthetic uh, essentially a, a mold basically um, and a, a, or, or it's a fungus um, which is grown in great, great big bioreactors up north in Stokesley 
And so for a start, the base product of, of, of various different offerings will be very different because that's what makes up theirs. And ours is going to be based on, on plants, basically. So on plant proteins. So um, the not chicken sample we have for you today is based on um, uh, pea protein and soy protein. Um, so that's actually stuff that's grown um, versus versus stuff that's, well, I suppose there's grown too, but stuff that grows out in nature versus stuff that is grown in, in a big like dark bioreactor. Corn's origins come from, you know, ICI and a partnership with a chemical manufacturer. Right. So it's a really different starting point. So so agriculture is still involved in the production of your product? Yeah, but sustain, sustainable agriculture. So um, I guess we, we, the way to perhaps think about it is um, when you are rearing an animal to be slaughtered, from its birth to when it's slaughtered, it's taking on loads of protein and that protein is often quite similar in, in base to, to actually what we've made. So mm-hmm. we're kind of skipping the step of having to grow an animal and having to give water to an animal and having to have space for animals. Let it fart as well. Let it fart, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, just generally breathe and respire. Yeah. And and then, of course, slaughter it at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, there's a load of inefficiency there and um, a load of steps in the chain that, that we do away with. Did you do any research uh, for before the launch? Um, because what interested me when sort of thinking about getting you guys on and interviewing you was so you you came up with a, a matrix of problems you identified this as a problem what did you need to do to then bring it to life who did you go and speak to uh, did you go and look at academic papers um, or please well, share, share that story basically <laughs> yeah. um, so um, okay so when we first committed to the idea, we didn't find a fundamental reason why we wouldn't do it. Um, and by the way, that, that the rationale there was basically, is it complementary to our skills that we've learned? Yes. Is it good for the world? Because that's another criteria we, we wanted to conform to. Yes. Um, and is the market growing loads in the future? Yes. So that, there's the rationale for doing it. And then in terms of how we then try and make that happen, and we're still on that journey, obviously, because we're pre-launch. But um, I think the first thing we did because we're about, let's say, I don't know, let's say we're three weeks in now and we've been researching the space and the idea. Um, we then research uh, different technologies and like what technology would be best to make these products. Um, we settled on um, high moisture extrusion for the first products we're going to launch with. Uh, we'll go into that probably a bit more later, but um, we then started trying to assemble a small team. So we've onboarded uh, a former um, director of corn um, mm. as our advisor. Uh, we've also um, onboarded a world-leading scientist um, who specializes in making um, plant-based protein products. Uh, and um, then we started writing our business plan, uh, meeting industry people, meeting uh, then, then starting to go around Europe looking at supply chain, manufacturing partners, um, and then raising money. And that's where we are now. We've raised about 90% of the capital we need for our seed round. Um, and you've just had SeedCamp join you. We just had SeedCamp join us, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. What was their opinion on this stage? Because that's uh, very forward thinking of them. Um, in terms of the st- of our stage, where we are, yeah. uh, I thought we were really early on and, and I think they just thought that we were vaguely credible and that they would, um, yeah, just, just back us. I think uh, it's obvious for anyone at this stage that we're really early on. Um, but we showed them, you know, we pitched them and all the a lot of their LPs as well in a sort of pitch day. Um, and... Uh, I guess they bought into how we see the brand positioning of, of being, you know, kind of 
almost meat friendly you know meat eater friendly rather than evangelical uh, mm. vegetarian veganists were, were the successes of um u.s companies like beyond meat and i can't remember the other one this possible is another impossible. one yeah, yeah. Uh, were they um a key part of the decision making process uh, for us or for for you and for i guess seed camp and anyone else I think it was encouraging to see, uh, you know, the level of traction companies have made in this space across the pond mm-hmm. um, for us and for investors. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a, a really useful part. It's interesting because you may have a better problem in terms of I think we've got a less entrenched consumer built around meat and industrialized meat. Uh, there's no doubt in America that those mega you know, dairies and all this stuff are, are so embedded in the fabric of, of how people expect to consume um, food. Um, so we've kind of got quite a forward-thinking consumer base, um, but maybe the, the market's not quite as large. But then I find it quite interesting that you said that it was being manufactured in the EU. So what is what are they manufacturing it for before you arose and approached them with this this offer? I mean... Sure. Well, I mean, the high moisture extrusion gets used for a few different things. I mean, it's it's good for vegetarian food. It's originally comes from uh, things like cereals, uh, some pet foods, um, anything that you know transforms different types of proteins into a combined combined state. I guess. Mm. So and plastics is where extrusion really originated. I think. Yeah. Um, in industry, and then and then so there's extrusion, dry, dry extrusion, and then high moisture extrusion is what we're using, and that's a relatively new technology. That adaptation of the moisture being added to the process. Um, it, cha- it changes the, the machinery slightly and um, it just makes it a much more complex, delicate process. And what's the affordability of producing um, maybe a gram of protein versus meat at the moment? So it's very scale dependent. Uh, when we launch, uh, we're going to be a relatively lo- low margin product. Um, and then when we theoretically, um, when we get much larger and have big scale, much cheaper than meat. Um, our raw ingredients are um, you know, cheap if you're buying bulk, basically. Um, yeah, it's plants. So um, it stands to reason that like so much less effort has gone in to make a pea than to make a bit of a chicken. Yeah, from the pea you started with, like 10 times the peas you started with and then had a chicken in the middle. I think that's what confuses me about all these vegan products is why are you so expensive? Yeah, as Andy said, a lot of it's scale. So chicken, like animal farming in the UK... Those big factory farms, uh, mega farms, they're not unique to the US. They're increasingly popular over here. The number of farms has massively reduced as their scale's blown up in Europe as well. And I think when we're starting from a, a pretty small base by comparison, it's just working in the efficiencies yeah. to, to be able to do it with... Yeah, But there's quite an insipid um, undertone to those industrialised farms that they don't really pick up the environmental cost of the damage that they do. They kind of get a bit of a free ride um i've heard of lagoons bursting with you know twice the spillage area of the exxon valdez spill and huge eutrophication and people dying but they're not footing the bill for any of that so they kind of get the affordability without the you know the responsible um yeah that scale has yeah. been achieved at a real cost yeah, yeah really. it's a bit of a um, free rider uh, situation yeah, and, and that for me is why i'm really excited about these not meat plant-based products and speaking of which, it would perhaps be a good opportunity to try them in a sec. But first, what are the obstacles that you have to overcome when trying to replicate and imitate meat with plants? Well, the texture. 
it's, it's the most difficult piece of work to undertake. Uh, meat has a unique fibrous texture to it, and to recreate that from stuff that isn't meat is difficult. Mm -hmm. So that's to say the biggest challenge is the texture work. What about nutrition? Nutrition's easier because no matter what you do to it, a chicken's a chicken, and a chicken has the nutritional profile that a chicken will have. Um, with all the antibiotics with all the and antibiotics, hormones yeah. and things. Um, but when yeah. you're designing something from the ground up from scratch, you can tweak, you can pull levers so that the nutritional profile changes to, your, to your preferences. Particularly helpful when it's made of basically water and protein. Yeah. It's a fundamental building blocks to start with. Yeah. And that's distinct from GMO, where they made alterations to help with the growing process. But in so doing, change something fundamental about the product. Uh, su such that people started reacting badly to it. For, for instance, people who are gluten intolerant in the if, uh, to US grown bread products can often eat European bread products without the same reaction, and it's because it's because of that GMO process. Um, but but that's not true in this case. No, we're, we're non-GMO. Um, I don't think you're allowed to sell anything GMO in the UK anyway, to be honest. Right. Or in the EU. Um, so um, we had problems with that chosen one actually we tried to import some onion rings that we liked trying in the states and uh, you liked because they were full of um, corn yeah. syrup because <laughs> 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 they're mutated <laughs> um, <laughs> so will you be after yeah. you eat them yeah. so yeah customs said no the EU is way stricter on that I'm very glad it is well shall we test out the taste and texture of your not chicken so um what we have here Just is, careful that you speak. Oh, yeah, sorry. So. What we have here is uh, our not chicken prototype products. So you're one of very few people to have tried this. This is exciting. Get these out and speak into this. Sorry, let me, let, me, let me help you out. Um, we also have a sweet chilli sauce for your, oh. your second bite. Yeah, you, it's true, because you wouldn't just eat cubes yeah. of chicken by themselves exactly. in a Tupperware. Um, and we also have here uh, corn um, chicken pieces. Chicken just pie. for benchmarking, yeah, because that's the market ah. leading product. Can you, you go first, Ed? Me um, go first because I want to ask. So that's the chicken product. That's not chicken, and that's the yeah. The this one is your product. So, yes. Just to be clear, not chicken is the no, is the brand name. But um, the the um, visually the texture look quite similar to um, meat flesh. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's yeah. the brand. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I looked at it, and that could have easily been like a Chinese takeaway, or you know. Yeah. yeah. And you eat with your eyes first. So was that? You're only you, going to taste chilli now. You teach me how to eat. You eat. Fool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go, go, go. This stand first. <laughs> Doubling up. That's really good. That's yeah. way better than corn, and I eat corn because yeah, I'm right. a, a flexitarian, quote unquote. Ah, you were you're a guilty carnivore too. I am. Um, I'm a biologist. Okay. So I'll fall back on that position and say that um, the problem's not going to solve itself. And we can't constantly wait for, for adults to, to tell us what to do. I think it starts with an individual choice. And if I don't start making that, I won't not uh, eat meat at a restaurant, but I am conscious of trying to reduce my consumption. Ollie? Yes, yeah, stop eating while you're on the microphone. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> no, but you can hear the sounds of delicious... Uh, you can eating. Okay. Uh, so regarding the texture, you can actually see the fibres which make it look like, I guess, uh, muscle. I don't understand how that's possible to achieve. Well, it's, um, so the process that happens in high moisture extrusion, it's, it's mechanical. Mm -hmm. So it's not a chemical process, but it's, like Andy says, originally from the plastics industry where you're breaking down hydrocarbons and reforming them in different ways. Yeah. And it basically translates to do the same thing with proteins. Um, it's quite complicated to do it. Yeah. Um, 
It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I finished eating. Can you? So I'll eat now. Can you ask why it's called not me? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I can. I'm Do you have a question? Getting, 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 getting a, lot of, a lot of instructions from my, my missus here. I, I, I believe you have a question for us. I did. Um, my question... Oh, God, I've even forgotten your question. I'm just con- conscious of eating. Um, do you turn it into um, sort of elemental protein and then the extrusion process creates the sort of fibre texture? And so in terms of... Yeah. yeah, more or less. Okay. So it's the extrusion process, the cooling process to to set those structures, which is what gets, if you pull yours apart, you'll see it's got all the nice little fibery strings. You're both eating, so I'll keep talking. Um, but yeah, you, but you, you can see all the little fibrils inside. Um, um, that's what's sort of helped. My feedback that. is corn mulches. And what, it, it, what does that mean? It just squashes and it falls apart, whereas that has um, the layered texture. It rips, it... it pulls a bit more um, and actually the base chicken taste just sort of you know what chicken skin tastes like and that mm-hmm. slightly satisfying um, non-cheap chicken taste it has, has that quality to it it's really good the corn now tastes like mushroom yeah having tasted this one whereas normally it, it's it sort of passes for the, for chicken mm-hmm. I'd be utterly mushroom. satisfied um, bringing a Tupperware box to, to add to some rice with that knowing also that I felt smug enough that I was <laughs> shitting on the planet. And I guess it's it's always going to be chicken strips and fillets. You're never going to have the whole roast chicken. Yeah, I think it's difficult to... <laughs> We're a little way off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> see that. Um, we could, we Extruded. Sauce some feathers. And <laughs> <laughs> Why have I got the corn chicken box and you have the, the proper one? Because you lost. I wasn't going to devour them all. Because I was making such a disgusting can... noise. Either. <laughs> I think they were confiscated. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the name question, it's not meat. That obviously gives you a lot... A uh, lot to play with. This product is not chicken, and you've got your not beef burger. Is this a reference to Schnitzelgate? Have you heard of Schnitzelgate? No, what's that? So apparently, there are a lot of plant based or other alternative meat products in Europe. And the German Minister for Agriculture got so fed up because all of these non meat products were using meaty names like Schnitzel. Um, and so he tried to ban that from being the case. So you could only have a meat related word in your name. Um, if your product was in fact meat, uh, so so it's not a reference to that. Got it. No, it's not. And I think France has just successfully um, banned right. meat-related terms. Why are they so riled up about it? Uh, I think they have powerful meat lobbyists. Um, yeah. I would imagine they really um, do in in France. Um, Britain is one of the biggest producers of of basically shit pork, cheap crappy pork. And I think, given the rest of the sort of economic power, um, I imagine the agricultural industry is quite. Quite, got quite a strong presence. Mm. Yeah, um, sure. There's a lot of vested interests that you're actually bumping heads with. Um, do you sort of? Sorry, I'm still no, still, that's all right. still that's chewing all right. delightfully <laughs> on. Um, actually, I do have a, a much more structured question. So you've created chicken to create the recipe for other meats. Do you have to go back to the drawing board or kind of use the same base plan and then change some flavourings? So, well, we're already quite far through on not bacon. Oh, um, that's a good one. It's Yeah, it's tasty. It's not quite there yet. Um, we're not quite happy enough with it yet. Very hard. Because people like crispy bacon, which means it has to be able to crisp properly versus something like it different. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the punchline is you start with a similar base. So, in the same way that animal meat is... Keep whacking that. That's right. Yeah, in the same way that animal meat is basically protein, water, lipids and minerals... Um, you start with plant proteins again, you add water, and then you just apply the different flavorings at different stages. Um, 
and obviously very different you know flavorings to replicate that bacon sensation mm-hmm. and bacon's a really tough one because if you have uh like a lard on or something the second that bacon touches your tongue it is absolutely unmistakable and it's a much more powerful taste uh than chicken chicken's quite a neutral one beef tea um but yeah so yes you need to change it but not not drastically so and you're, you're building these products from a base level upwards does that afford you the opportunity to improve them nutritionally because there's a lot going on about how most of the meat we buy isn't as nutritionally dense as it used to be because of corn feeding rather than grass feeding, et cetera, et cetera. So, so does this give you give you opportunity to boost the nutritional content? Uh, yeah, there's certainly an opportunity to do in there. Um, but you haven't focused on that. No, uh, the same or better than animals. Yeah. Um, so the, the chicken you just had, the not chicken you just had, has... Um, Cyanide. <laughs> Thank you for, for sending me on my way. Yeah, that was I'm one. grateful to you. <laughs> um, that's got about 30 grams per 100 grams of product, of protein. So just straight out of the gates, you're already in line with about the highest protein you would find in chicken anyway. Right. And higher than most cuts. It's on par with breast. And more consistent. Correct. Because I imagine the supply chain of different farms is variable. And no antibiotics, no hormones, no unhappy chickens no cholesterol no cholesterol no, you know greenhouse gases well far fewer like 95 percent fewer yeah. um it, yeah it's a really big deal so what's going to happen to all the animals when farming is just something people do for fun rather than to feed us i think they'll just retire they'll retire yeah <laughs> move into animal homes yeah <laughs> um. <laughs> skewed population demographics at home care yeah. <laughs> and someone will develop an app to match them with carers <laughs> 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 I think eating meat will continue to be something that, that people do for, for centuries to come. I just think it'll be like how horses are still around now, even though we have cars. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a special occasion thing that's used infrequently. It's probably a bit like electric vehicles. I think exactly, there'll still be yeah. petrol heads, but I think some people will just have to accept that electric is the, the way to go. Completely agree. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can pay a premium for it. There'll be a hefty, hefty premium. For Were he there any uh, hil- hilarious uh, failed attempts? Because I imagine uh, that that is V V number millions million, right? Yeah, um, they're not hilarious. I think uh, just disgusting. You know so what? disgusting. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Some our the, first bacon was pretty bad. Some of the um, burgers as well. You remember those? Yeah, that was awful. Oh yeah, oh. Uh, we 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 started work on the not beef burger ourselves, just because we just thought we tried on and the texture we got to was actually quite good but the taste was disgusting it looked great I saw yeah. it in a, is that the one in the frying pan it your... got a bit better than that one that picture but, but it did look very real it's yeah it looks good um now it looks good and uh we're about to get professional help with the <laughs> <laughs> um but we just thought we'd try that one on our own to start with because we were working um you know we decided we didn't want to allocate funds to like all of the product ideas. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we did ourselves that one uh and that wasn't good uh we had one funny thing the other day where um, it's kind of loosely related to um, question. We were at an investor meeting, and the guy in question is a very prominent uh, investor who is a extremely um, like sort of high net worth and well known in this in the startup community. And um, he is a vegan, and was all excited to try our product because you know like. And he's at the stage where he's been vegan for a very long time. Yeah, it's like so, 18, 20 years. I yeah, think. so like meat, mm. meat is kind of a bit disgusting in concept to him. Anyway, it was like the best endorsement of our product ever because he put it in his mouth and he literally had to get up and find a bin. Where's the bin? Where's the bin? And spat it out. 
and he was like almost sick and he was like leaning over the bin about to be sick because he, he was like it was, it was like meat it's like it's meat and you've, <laughs> trick, you've invented yeah. meat <laughs> you invented so a cube of chicken <laughs> it was the funniest thing <laughs> but yeah. I, that oh, I'm not going to talk about vegans and hypochondria but um it, it promoted a very strong response that was exactly how he would have reacted if you gave him chicken. Did the meeting go well after that? Yeah, it did. Because yeah. he got he actually said, I'm gonna get some meat eaters in um from the office. So he got these people in, his colleagues and, and they really liked it. As it happens, uh, that guy had decided beforehand that we were a bit too early for him, but wanted to meet us anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and uh, he does larger ticket stuff later. And uh and yeah, so it did go well, but it was just funny that we disgusted this man. Because we were so much like chicken. <laughs> Do you um, have a route to market in terms of getting getting into supermarkets? Is that going to be your line of attack? Will you go into niche stores, Holland and Barrett's? Um, how do you break in? Um, short answer is to start small. Um, we have an un- untested supply chain. So we're going to start in independent retail and independent restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, build a brand from there. Um, and then pretty much at Series A, we'll start to try and get into the multiple retailers. Um, if, if Tesco's phoned us tomorrow, we wouldn't be ready and we couldn't supply them. Course um, meat, please. <laughs> <laughs> but we wouldn't do as good a job as well. So yeah. in terms of, you know, we want to be really proud of the product and we want to have the right variants and really understand the customers and how they interact with it before trying to, you know, really push it um, into major multiples with massive distribution. Do you feel like the customers are ready yet from your feedback so far? Or do you think there's still a couple of years till everybody starts to get on board with that? I think they're definitely ready. Yeah. Um, precedents are out there. Corn is a precedent. Mm. Um, are, you know, We wouldn't say that they are um, doing a, a fantastic job necessarily at creating stuff that's like meat. But um, but they do create some products that are like meat. And, and their chicken nuggets, for instance, are really good. And they're just like meat. Um, so, uh, you know, th- there is precedent there that, that consumers will buy en masse um, products that appear and taste like meat. I'd love to know how many people, if you offered them the choice between a perfect meat imitation in flavour and texture with no antibiotics, hormones, much lower environmental impact, best nutrition and real meat, how many would still choose real meat? Mm-hmm. Do you um, think well, it's a matter of principle, sort of a principled meat eater? I just don't think many people would and I'd be shocked if they did make that choice. I, th- I think that res- research at the moment is saying, as we talked about flexitarians earlier, I'd say the answer is probably somewhere around 20 million would and, and 40 million wouldn't. Right. Because that's how many flexitarians there are, according to Nielsen, for whatever that's worth. And, and mm. um, so I think, I think that number is just going to keep growing. Yeah, I think um, people are just becoming more and more educated about yeah. it. Um, so I think we're getting in pretty early, um, relatively speaking, for a mass, you know, mass market opportunity. I think it's pretty early, but I think we're going to grow into it and... Um, you know, we we wanted to start a business that was that you know, we 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 had a little ex- exit really and 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 made our first and we we wanted to get into something that was going to be like proper, yeah. like grown up. And we think this is hopefully if we don't get stuff wrong, um, this is a good opportunity. I really hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, I think that there's a really solid cause, um, and we're definitely becoming a little bit more conscientious as, as consumers. Um, one question I had about your other sort of competitive strain developing um, lab-grown meat. Mm-hmm. How much understanding and research do you have about that and, and what are the applications? Do you see that being... Yeah, we have some understanding uh, because when we started, um, well, when we, when we committed to this, we literally sat down with a blank canvas and said, well, which technology do we want to back? Um, 
and you know there was the opportunity there's no one in the uk that we know of doing lab grown so there was an opportunity there um our view is this that, that lab grown meat is between five and ten years from being on supermarket shelves mm. um we uh, do not have the appetite to faff around a lab for the next five to ten years, raising continuous money so we can stay alive, selling nothing, and making promises. Um, that is realistically how long it's going to be. Mm. Um, there are some startups out there that are saying, oh, we'll be on supermarket shelves in the next 12 to 24 months. It's just not true, in my in our view. We've spoken, to, we've spoken to the Dutch guy that invented the technology because um, we were looking at getting some... We were like, okay, we can't do lab-grown meat, but perhaps we can do just the fat. And, you know, so we, we spoke to him about that and, and quite seriously about that a few times because um, he's still doing it. He's still pioneering in the space. Um, the reality is that uh, it's, it's incredibly costly. They've got the cost down a lot, but the cost is still like 500 pounds, I think, a gram or something. It's ludicrously high. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's far away. And I think, and then also, um, there's the question of, uh, texture. So, um, what's interesting is that you can create chicken or beef or whatever from, um, Petri dish, you know, serum based growth. Well, it's bovine fetal serum in half of the, um, yeah. So you can, (coughs) you can do it, but what's really challenging and what they don't have an answer for yet is how do you create that fibrous texture it's almost ironic that we can do it from uh, plants but they can't do it from actual chicken um basically what you end up with is a kind of gloop that's solidified and i think they normally sous vide cook it for the serve um because it keeps it together uh but basically you can't what people think this lab-grown chicken is like oh you leave it for 28 days and you come back and there's like a chicken breast as we know it the architecture of the product they produce is gloop because there's no muscle nothing's moving there's um, no striations yeah exactly so uh it's texture is going to be a big challenge for them i think um well they, they've said as well and it's 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 uh it's a challenging exciting and interesting space it's just one that we thought was a bit too sci-fi um to get involved with today because we don't want to be as i said faffing around for you know many years mm. um if it turns out that it's sustainable and the public are looking like they're going to back it there's no reason why not meat can't get involved with it as well, well especially if, you, if you've established yourself yeah we're not wedded to any technology no. yeah exactly uh, the sort of reason detra for us is taking whatever the best possible way we can create the best tasting products that are the closest to meat and give them to consumers mm. uh, can you make blood or not blood i should say uh, can you make blood? You can make elements of blood. Yeah, um, you can't make hmm. blood as as you you know it though. So so if I cook my not beef burger rare, uh, would there be jus? <laughs> uh, there'd, be, there'd be there'd be some jus. Uh, you should give him the give him the cyanide. <laughs> there'd be some jus. Um, it, it wouldn't be so. So what you'd probably get is vegetable based fats coming out. Right. So most likely coconut is what we're going to use. Mm-hmm. So you'd have some some sizzling, some fat, um, and yeah, it, it would you know it would be a different. It wouldn't be obviously beef, but yeah, but yeah you could get some juices flowing. Cool for sure. Ooh. I'd be very interested to see how it changes consumer yeah, behavior. Um, and another part of it was you guys were doing it to um, well, this is what I read anyway, uh, reduce um, obesity and and that kind of side of the health crisis. Was that something you noticed getting worse or just noticed working in chosen bun? Um, I wouldn't say that's a core philosophy of ours. Right. Um, 
it would it make us a little bit hypocritical as well. Although it all does make us a bit hypocritical having yeah, come from burgers. We did sell a lot of. Um, <laughs> um, this is karma. Yeah, yeah, we are paying down yeah. the karmic debt. Many, many cows were harmed in the making of chosen buns, so um, it's kind yeah. of nice to give them a break. Did that actually inform? I mean, I guess you said it didn't because you were brainstorming a load of other ideas before you settled on this one. But do you think that given your experience sourcing meat for Chosen Bun, working McDonald's, Domino's as well, uh, because some of the meat on their pizzas seems highly suspect? Yeah, <laughs> I can possibly comment. You're welcome <laughs> to the you libel. Can, of you can't. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think we'll put that in. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it would be fair to say we only really learned about the true environmental cost after Chosen Bun, really, or towards the end. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, because, you know, we are just members of the public, and it, it's only permeated down recently, to be honest. Like, Yeah, no, I mean in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, at the time, we were not that conscious of it. Yeah, looking Otherwise. at an Excel spreadsheet of how you reduce the cost. How did we cut the cost of that meat? It's like suddenly yeah. some farm like whirring away in <laughs> Georgia or something. <laughs> Um, my question I have is about um, other food alternatives. Um, have you tried Huel? Uh, yes, I have tried Huel. Mm. Um, I don't know what the laws are around like being mean about people's products, but uh, I, di- I did. It wasn't for me. I would say it's not the tastiest. I, I was interested in the idea of um, having all the nutrients I needed. Mm. I wanted to see how I felt. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one thing that they don't talk about, well, why would they? I suppose uh, is dietary fibre. Um, and and you need fibrous products to um, have a balanced diet. So it's not a total meal replacement in the sense that you can just have it three times a day and that's you done. Like you do need fiber. We have fiber in our products and mm. vegetables and have fiber and lots of things have fiber. But fuel, I believe, does not have fiber, which is a very crucial part of your diet. I also think you're not um, using your jaw muscles, and I imagine your gastrointestinal tract probably needs to be able to to break stuff down as well. There's some mechanical actions I don't think it necessarily solves. You're also not having any fun. Yeah, it's so um, depressing. I loved the, it. The version, no, the, the, I loved. the version of it that you had wasn't Huel, it was called Joylent. I had both. Joylent. Joylent was all, the, That's yeah, the original one. Yeah, Joyless, as we call it. Very sweet. Uh, after a while, I, yeah, it's like drinking milkshake every single meal. Um, but also, they claim to give you the whole nutrient profile. But as is becoming increasingly clear, everyone's nutrient profile is different. So who's the right person to have it is, is a really difficult question. I think it's really interesting. I, I remember when it came out or when I saw it first, I was really interested by it and I looked into it as, as much depth as possible because it was the time when when we were, I think we were leaving Chosen we just left. So we were like, okay, what are we going to do next? So I did look at it. I think it's really interesting. They've obviously had big success with it, which is cool. Uh, but I think it's, there's, there's a versatility t- that, that real food ingredients bring mm. that obviously something like a powder couldn't bring so you know like you take our base product let's say our not chicken product it'll come in different variants but like take the most basic one which is kind of going to be char grilled salt pepper that pretty much it um you can do a lot with that and you can have it with different things and you can include different flavors and you know you just don't have any of that versatility with a powder no i remember when you actually it was when i first started in the office uh, you showed it to me and I immediately thought the application for it wouldn't be consumers. It would be for disaster zones. Dropping um, in a flood, t- no, <laughs> flood zone to soak up all the moisture. But if it's just a powder, then it's really easy to get this nutritionally dense product. Yeah. So there's people, though that someone then pointed out that water's normally the problem in that situation. So you need to get them clean water as well. Yeah, cholera sure. and heel don't go well together. No, indeed. <laughs> indeed. There, was a, there, been, there was a load of um, marketing press that 
wound me up at the time of your of people going, is it responsible? People are going to not get the nutrients they need or starve. It's, uh, I think for a lot of areas of the world, it offers a solution. If it's if it's as cheap and easy to transport, um, then I think it can afford people nutrition who have no hope in hell of getting access to it. You know, in their local village or wherever it might be. Um, the one thing I did like about it was I felt very uh, normal. Every day I didn't get sugar crashes or sugar highs. I felt very consistent. And I think that was an interesting thought experiment. But um, it's not really a long-term solution in the way that mm. you guys are providing one of actually landing on dinner plates. It's- I, I think the thing you keep coming back to on this is it's variety. Yep. I mean, you one keeps coming back to is too much of any one thing yes. is rarely a good plan. Except for peanut butter. Except, I, I think even then you might run into some problems. <laughs> the peanut butter diet. Is that one from you, Ollie? I love peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, keeping it all mixed together. And if you are short on time and you don't want to be malnourished and you're a programmer in Silicon Valley, then, you know, Huel or Soylent or one of those guys be, yeah, I think it'll fill a hole. I wish it had been around when I was a student. I think it probably would have helped me uh, not be so pasty. Do you have visions of of tackling more than one ethical problem, Elon Musk style? Do you envisage tackling not meat and then uh, not solar or some other? Yeah, we actually do. Um, Really? Yeah, and that's part of the reason for the branding as well. Uh, We can use that not device for anything. The double negative. Yeah, we're excited about getting into, you know, maybe not milk or... Um, not diesel or you know not petrol whatever like we we, we do see that the brand um, as an interesting uh, platform for different stuff yeah. that's really interesting not human robotic restaurant yeah exactly He's good, the only good. not employed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> consequence of said robotic restaurant yeah exactly not prudent <laughs> yeah, it's, gone, it's gone from recruitment to eliminating jobs everywhere just so loathsome was his experience um, I, but I think the the desire to fix all of these things at the same time do kind of come hand in hand as you see a, a way of piecing the puzzle together uh, which is generally trying to do something good it's one thing um i go back to is i i wouldn't necessarily seek a lot of satisfaction as some of our entrepreneurs do of just creating a very generic um business and i think a lot of them will find even if they exit that business they'll kind of be left sat on their hands maybe with millions of pounds in their pockets but there's no way they won't migrate onto something more meaningful afterwards which is really cool to hear that you've exited a company and then you have had an you know a yearning to not do the same thing there's probably a sort of bit of a philanthropic um, emergence. Mm, well, the, sorry, go on. I was going to say, the cool thing coming out of Chosen is the time. Because it's, it's often harder to find these. And what coming out with a little bit of money in our pockets allowed us to do was really take our time and really dig into all of these different industries in a way that would have been impossible uh, on, certainly for me, going into Chosen Bun. Um, I guess, you know, you going into recruitment, you're sort of working your way up. And on that note of entrepreneurial advice we like to end with some relatively quick fire takeaways for our listeners and when we always end up asking is have you read any books either now or before chosen bun that are particularly helpful uh probably more one for people yeah i'll take a massive read i read a lot but it's all online and and i also watch a huge amount but equally if there's a documentary or something you'd recommend people to watch um because i guess you want people to educate themselves as much as possible about the ethics of farming, etc. Um, so, is there anything at all that um, you think will help people learn? Um, you seen Okja? Sorry, have you seen Okja? No, what's that? Um, I guess it's a bit of a sci-fi alternative on 
from Netflix, and they create a vision in the future of these, uh, I guess, super pigs, which look like a hybrid between an elephant, uh, like basically a really adorable big animal that gets slaughtered yeah. for its delicious meat. Um, so it's just a takeaway of them using the most effective medium for shocking you into thinking about how awful it is. But it's a good watch. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, on the on the on the book side of things, I've read a couple. Uh, the hard thing about hard things um, is really really good. Do you remember who that's by? Uh, ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz. Yeah, Horowitz and recent fame. Um, yeah, that was a really interesting one. It was sort of a much more honest interpretation. I read that after Chosen One actually, but um, I know you can sort of see. Yeah, it's a hard thing about hard things. People are very they're so quick at the beginning to be like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do this. It's- is it motivational? Yeah, it's him basically. It's walking through the his experience with the last company, and it, but particularly talking about the harder times. So when everything's gone completely to crap, and then it's all falling down, they're running out of money, and you get a, a good sense of the sort of pressure that he's under mm-hmm. and the way he comes about finding solutions, mm-hmm. um, which I just was really really interesting, mm-hmm. and something I haven't found in many other books. Right. Like Eating the big fish, another really good one. Um, Were there moments at Chosen Bun where you felt really under pressure and and things weren't going in the direction you'd hoped yeah it's, there's always going to be times yeah running your own shop to i just think it's really important for people to hear that the one i really remember is on our on our first day it was when we were or when the fridges arrived um but it was just like m- incredibly overwhelming and um you know you have a million people asking both of us questions we have no idea what the answer is to any of them but you have about five seconds apiece to come out with something mm-hmm. I just yeah remember going to you and being like I just give me five minutes I basically just sat with my head in my hands for five minutes to gather my thoughts and then I knew I should have gone to that other startup yeah why am I why? not still in coke I could have had that Audi and everything <laughs> there's loads that was really really hard and, and back against the wall to be honest like for instance the most fundamental thing that was hard and, and felt grim was the property side of things because um, we were in a position to grow for quite some time um, and we had proof of concept with our first store and we were trying to get a second one for ages and we had like, I don't know, like over 10 sites that we thought we'd get and we didn't. Um, and the reason was that, touched on at the beginning, like the commoditization of, of you know, our high streets. I mean that if you're a chosen bun trying to get your second store, you're up against like Pret, Nando's, Itsu, uh, Coat, like everyone. And if you're a landlord, you know, you're some you're some property owner, maybe you've got four shops or whatever, um, and it's your, it's your living. You want the guarantee. You want the guarantee and you want the covenant strength. And it, it's, it makes it pretty much impossible um, without paying an enormous premium that startups can't afford. Uh, I just think the London restaurant property market stinks. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible. You walk yeah. down every high street in every borough and, and then also in towns around the country and it's the same place. It's the Nando's, GBK. Yeah. You get a GBK and a Byron next to each yeah. other. And they're just, they're just they're just uniform and homogenous, and it's mm-hmm. it's boring. Mm. It's it's all yeah. It's it's almost a bit strange because everything else about London is so pro startups and entrepreneurialism, and the food scene is is you know uh, projecting a, re- a very diverse um, guys at the moment. But uh, but then you've got this uh, fundamental component of property, which is just such a challenge for startups. Mm. Everyone's talking about it as well. Who who I meet who who's in food. Uh, it's just a really tough and once you get over the threshold of let's say having 10 sites you're kind of fine because landlords are more comfortable um, and uh, you know but the point before you get there it's really difficult the property side it's a real by ball. spreadsheet isn't it um, someone yeah. just looks at the numbers and they 
as you say, want their tenant who'll pay their bills, which means we end up in the same problem we always do, which is if you want the high street to be reinvigorated, you need independent stores. And if mm-hmm. they're not going to be attracted, then I don't even see almost why an entrepreneur would take on that challenge where you can take a software company and you don't face any of those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really big challenge. And it becomes a bit formulaic as well. You you end up sort of just opening your generic sites and you know one in uh, Liverpool Street, one Brixton Market, and you can't really escape those sort of alternative independent areas. So you don't envisage any not restaurants? No, I wouldn't have thought so. No. Um, because of that, m- m- above all? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, we've kind of been there, done that now. It's, we sure. managed to get out unscathed, which is good. Mm. And it's a really difficult way to make a living as well. Yeah, it is um, hard graft. Yeah, like to do, it, to do it right and to make sure you don't make some clangers along the way, I think you have to do what me and Pete did, which is spend all hours there. Um, I think any of our colleagues who worked there or our, invest- our investors, they'd all probably attest to the fact that we were there like all times, basically. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have much for life. Um, and so it's a really hard way to make a living. Because look at the hours. It's, it's a symptom of having opening hours mm-hmm. seven days a week. Those stolen, stolen kisses in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> Gets harder and harder when the staff are around there. It's a real nightmare. Um, uh, yeah. That. So, uh, so yeah, um, it's, it's a hard way to make a living for sure. So learn by doing. Um, yeah. Any educational resources that really uh, brought you up with the science of the food that you're making? Or is that just speaking to uh, university uh, spe- speaking to academics and also just reading uh, scholarly articles, I, I read a lot of um, journals online about about plant-based protein. Is methods. there a specific site for that? Is it J- uh, Google, Google Scholar? Google Scholar is really Google good for Scholars. that. Um, yeah, like academia dot uh, edu or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, also, if you're if you're research like I mean, I don't think we're such tycoons that we're able to just keep giving advice to people but if since you're asking i'd say one thing i do a lot of um is i read a lot of company accounts um of uh, uh market leaders in different sectors so if we're looking at um it just gives you so much understanding of like what the challenges like to be what the gps like to be and so so if you're thinking about getting into car maintenance business you know look at halford's um you know auto centers look at, look at quick fit and see and see what what their um pnls look like it's such a good resource um, it's great, really. Think mm. about it. Like, what's the best case look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and before we draw this to a close, is there anything else you wanted to say? Um, maybe when your products are launching? Yeah, so I think we've got about five to six months, really, before you can start buying our products. Um, we're aiming to approach, uh, on the retail side, um, kind of smaller retail either small retail groups or just independents so what that looks like is kind of whole foods hopefully Ocado, um and also a few flagship stores so maybe like partridges or you know um and then also like independent delis as well right so in the right kind of areas with the right demographics to, to be the first movers on the product um and um and then on the restaurant side we're hoping to um perhaps get our not bacon product in some burger chains um so you know our favorites are kind of like the patty and buns of the world mm-hmm. and um, a few others and then and then also uh, we would quite like to try and get our products on pizzas as well mm. so hopefully you'll be able to buy it in pizza restaurants um, Pete will say nothing Domino's, been... Domino's meat is delicious <laughs> <laughs> I don't deny it's delicious it's the it's the provenance that concerns me but I, uh, there's really good pizzas I was more just thinking I'm really excited for that day to hurry up and roll around yeah I'm like I'm genuinely excited to be able to buy our own products and to eat them regularly. Be a really proud moment when you see yeah. somebody else order your product 
have their pizza and sort of start telling you about it should they not have pieced the two together. But I'm kind of more selfish. I just want to have a really a pizza and feel good about everything everything on it. That's a really um, good reason to uh, to start any company. Solve a problem for yourself. Yeah, yeah. we both have that actually because we both want to cut down meat intake, but we yeah. don't love what's out there. Mm-hmm. So it's genuinely solving a, a selfish problem as well as maybe for others. It's um, a good good driver. Hmm. Well, for the the last bit, um, we like to ask if anybody listening can do anything to help you, uh, whether you need uh, access to a really good scientist or just staff, community managers, whatever it might be. Um, is there anything you're yearning for? Um, at this stage, I think we're just finishing off our investment round, so um, there's still there's still room to invest in in the the last bit, and um, so that would be helpful. And then, is that EIS? Yes, we're yeah. EIS confirmed. Got our certification through, um, and uh, can you think of anything? Yeah, I got uh, anyone who's working doing anything in um, like just sort of plant PET, so ethically sourced plastic mm. packaging, food grade packaging. Mm. Be really interested to talk to people in that space because uh, it's quite a challenge working in food and trying to, yeah, you know, particularly something like we're talking about environment and packaging is a really hard thing to get around. Um, so that's always something that's that's true. A, a so real you- interest to hear what's coming up and anything new people are working on. Not plastic. Don't we have a company on seed tribes to do with plastic? Yes, recycling PET. There's quite quite a big movement at the moment, but. Um, we do see quite a, well. We see quite a few startups trying to solve that that challenge with various degrees of effectiveness. Again, a lot of capital expenditure for them to set the plants facilities up. Um, but yes, we we would love to try and see if we can help introduce you to anybody of that nature. Um, I'm really excited to try more of your food. I can't wait. It's I've great. got addicted. That's great. <laughs> and thank you so much for your time. Lots Thanks lots. for having us. It was really fun actually. Yeah, yeah really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. So take care, guys. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, audiored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.